right, hello everyone. This is Peter Miller from Smarter Than BPD. Today is May 23rd, 2023, and this is episode 35. Today I wanted to explore the topic of self-love and how it applies to uh, mental health and borderline personality disorder. I've learned a lot about this uh, subject in my time studying psychology and being a therapist, um, mostly through uh, observations of my own experiences and the experiences of people I talk to in therapy and being in a cultural context, which as you have probably realized, I'm quite fascinated in uh, and how the, the cultural context influences mental health. But anyway, I guess what I'm saying there is that I think the topic of self-love is mentioned a lot and brought up as uh, important, quote-unquote, but do people actually put it into practice? And is it is it difficult to put into practice if you are in a, a, a westernized, modernized, fast-paced um, type of cultural framework or context? So as you can probably imagine, um, my, uh, my thought there is that it is actually very hard to, I think, fully conceptualize what self-love means. And it's also very hard to put into practice because of the, the fast pace, really, um, and the perceived obligations and responsibilities that um, we make as uh, priorities over our health. I mean, one of the things that we commonly see, and I mean, I did this to myself too, uh, for a long time is to prioritize uh, other things above your health, um, whether it be uh, being a student or being an employee or just being at your job uh, or other projects. I mean, health and, and particularly mental health seems to be put at the bottom, even neglected like as long as possible. Um, and even just to pretend that it, it doesn't even matter at all, <laughs> I would say. Uh, I think people honestly, in most cases, try to get away with like absolutely zero mental health uh, care, uh, taking care of that part of themselves until something goes wrong in their, in their body. And I've noticed kind of a pattern there as well, like in myself and with others again. And what I'm saying is that people in their mid thirties to kind of like late thirties, maybe early forties, I think that's when they start to experience some of the consequences of this mental health neglect. And particularly if they are more the anxious and emotionally sensitive type, like you can't get away with that kind of neglect your whole life. Um, you know, I guess, depending on your particular genetic makeup, maybe some people sort of can, or it can appear that they can. Uh, a, a great author, Gabor Mate, wrote a book called When the Body Says No, uh, and there are many examples in there of when the, you know, a person was working hard on 
other things in their life and then the body just kind of quits or they start having problems because of this uh, pattern of neglect. So, and as, as I've said in previous episodes, I think most of us are uh, indoctrinated into cultural narratives. I also refer to this as the matrix, quote unquote. Not like we're actually in a digital matrix like in the movie. Who knows, maybe we aren't. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking of this as like cultural stories when I say that. Um, and, and even the the story of you know that we kind of make up in our head when we're a kid with our parents like for example to be a good person you know you need to do what the authorities tell you so you know if you you want to please your parents you want you know you want them to be happy or it seems like you know the only way to do that is to do whatever they say right so you you kind of get into this pattern of um, being afraid of saying no or thinking, you know, that there's going to be consequences that come with that. So there can be kind of like a, like a, a childhood narrative, I guess. But then there's also the, like the narrative of society where, you know, you need to buy into all the, the mainstream uh, material consumption things you know that supposedly people need to be okay a house a car <clears throat> and you know lots of money to buy toys and so on and so forth and i think that's like a, i guess you could say a capitalist or consumer narrative but it's part of society it's it's woven in there and then there's also the um the religious narratives that people buy into right and they want to please the people in their, you know, in their church and, you know, they're supposed to say yes and contribute their time and energy to those things. So, I mean, guess so to be a good church person, in many cases, you need to be uh, like agreeable, right, to the authorities in those places. And, and I know every church religion is different and maybe some are a bit more, have more pressure that way. But that can be another one. So you can have like these layers of these narratives, right? That you are, that are in your, in your head and you're trying to accommodate all of them, which can be, uh, you know, turn out to be very stressful, uh, especially when you get into like a period of life, say where you're, where you're having a family and small children and like things really can start to uh, pile up. So, I mean, it's hard to um, to do things for yourself, I guess, and it kind of makes sense that uh, that you know making health a priority, whether it be physical health or mental health. I mean, it, it's easy to see how people could go like, you know, that's just got to wait, or that just that just doesn't matter right now, or there's no time for that, and it just keeps getting put off and put off and put off. Uh, until you can't put it off any longer, right? Or like the the things that you do to try and cover up symptoms, whether it be some kind of substance use or taking pills. I mean, how long can you use that as a way to cover up the physical and mental health neglect? Sometimes people try that for a long time as well. So I wanted to just touch on too, like what, what else would make it hard to practice self-love? 
Um, another thing I think is this everyday narcissism that I've brought up in other podcasts uh, where we are sort of conditioned to believe certain myths uh, and the first two are the big ones uh, number one we are responsible for and have the power to control how other people feel and behave and number two other people are responsible for and have the power to control the way we feel and behave um, so we buy into these myths and then you know it makes it very hard to have uh, like strong boundaries right and um, so like to say you know to say no when you want to say no because, I mean, quite often people say yes when they want to say no, right? And then there's lots of emotional stress that goes along with that. Or people will not speak up and say what they want um, because they don't want, because they believe that they are responsible for the way other people feel, right? So they don't want to be an inconvenience, right? They don't want to other people to feel put out or that they're, uh, you know, that they don't, they're, that they don't matter, um, so, I mean, people are honestly very afraid of how other people will feel if they, you know, make certain boundaries or speak up. Uh, and they will, you know, stay in that pattern of thinking they're responsible for everything again until the, it turns into incredible amounts of self-neglect. And people, I think, don't even realize that they're doing it. They just get into this unconscious habit of uh, not um, taking responsibility in this way and not even realizing that it's a type of responsibility that you need to take. Yeah, so they have this, um, this sense that, you know, they're responsible for so many things that they're actually not responsible for. Uh, in psychology, mental health, I mean, we teach and I guess preach that each person is responsible for their you know their own mental health and they're responsible for working through their own emotions and doing it responsibly and that you know other people are not in charge of other people's you're not in charge of other people's emotions they're in charge of their own so they have to learn how to do that but i think in many many cases people are conditioned to believe that they are responsible for you know their friends feelings and their parents feelings and all this kind of stuff so it makes it very hard to to uh, practice again self-love i would say it's probably more a form of self-neglect if you are stuck in that everyday narcissism pattern um, and again the author of that book is nancy van dyken it's called Everyday Narcissism, Yours, Mine, and Ours. It's a very enlightening book. So I recommend you check that one out. So another thing that people do is, uh, like, you say they start becoming a little bit more aware that they got to take time for their health. They might say, well, you know, if I take time for me, then I'm being, you know, bad. I'm being a bad person. I'm being selfish if I take time for my health. So it makes it hard to to take like even a half an hour, right? They could start thinking, you know, like my kids need me or my my partner needs me or, you know, something else is, you know, more important. And so they feel this guilt. It's like you're not allowed to take care of your health. And I mean, for it to take, you know, some time to like meditate or relax, you know, a person could look at that and go, well, I'm just being, you know, lazy or something like that. And people are going to judge me if I 
if I take uh, this time and if I try to help myself this way. So that's a big one to try and work through. And uh, lots of people that I've met have that one. I call it mis misplaced guilt, where it's like you're feeling guilty for something it doesn't make sense to feel guilty for. You're actually feeling guilty for trying to take care of yourself and, uh, you know, and and do what you need or say what you need or ask for what you need in order to have that time so keep that in mind like it's you know it is okay to take care of your health is it not um and you know it's it's fine to be uh available to others and to you know to take care of others if you know and to be loving and so on um, but you can get caught in this kind of this again this people pleasing pattern um, you could become a pp <laughs> a people pleaser so i mean you don't want to be a pp but uh, you also want to be able to follow your values and morals about you know being available to others sometimes as well so you know it's like finding that balance which is a difficult thing to do and sometimes people kind of delude themselves a bit here. I think like they're like, they think it's all going to come back to me. Like if I'm sacrificing and I'm giving, like it's all going to come back to me, like in like karma or something. Um, I don't, I don't think it works that way. Like I think people can be extremely giving and helping and they can just completely burn themselves out and be kind of under the delusion that it's some, somehow, someday they're going to get all this stuff back that they've put out um, but I think what happens is you end up being in these situations where people more or less take advantage of that uh, they just or they just get kind of conditioned like you're the giver and uh, I'm the receiver so I don't have to give anything back and so you have these like non-reciprocal relationships um, uh, and so people even kind of they get into this martyr mentality and they think it's maybe even virtuous to become a martyr uh, which I mean I think that's based in some cultural narratives as well uh, but I, I I honestly think there's no magic for martyrs if you're gonna be a martyr then you're just gonna get um, depleted and probably you know sick eventually uh, sometimes I share the oxygen mask analogy um, so, you know, if you're on a plane and the plane is going down and it's an emergency and the oxygen masks come down, I mean, if you're a mother with children, then you don't, you don't put the mask on the children first, you put it on yourself first because you need to be able to take care of your kids. So you have to take care of your own health if you're going to enjoy life, if you're going to be able to help people. Um, you can't do it as a depleted sick person you need to be able to have that health and that you need to be you know full in that way um, you need to have your your essential needs met in that way if you're going to uh, be able to give so it can you know it can be hard to um, break free from some of these patterns uh, again if you're unconscious of them or if you have some kind of beliefs that are perpetuating these patterns um, I mean I've seen people do the the people-pleasing thing for years and years and maybe they think it's part of their role like as a, a mother or a, a husband or a wife or they you know it's just been conditioned into them that that's what you're supposed to do and if you're not doing that then you're not a good person or you're not loving um, so I mean I think self-neglect is really justified 
in many cases, or we find a way to justify it through the through the cultural narratives or through just the beliefs that we uh, developed or picked up in our childhood. So I just wanted to actually mention, you know, one more thing. I mean, you know that I like to kind of go deep down the rabbit hole when I'm talking about uh, subjects uh, about psychology. And I mean, one thing I've looked at lately and, and that I think is kind of related here to self-love is that, um, I mean, I don't think that you are um, quite at self-love or you're not fully there until you realize that, and this could sound strange, but till, until you realize that, that you are not the self and you're not the body and you're not the programmed construct that you uh, grew up with, you know, like your name and your nationality, your cultural affiliation, your race. Some, some people might even say your gender. Um, this, uh, you don't really know who you are if you are uh, completely attached to that. Um, so I guess what I'm kind of saying there is like self-love would be like trying to achieve like enlightenment and to completely know yourself through, you know, uh, regular practices like mindfulness and meditation and getting to know, you know, to realize who you really are. Um, and that would be, you know, I guess the ultimate, um, I guess, psychological freedom. And it would probably free up the most energy and c capacity to be available to others because you're not like you're not uh, getting tangled up with um, unnecessary uh, suffering. And so you have, you know, you have more, you're lighter, you have more, more to offer, more energy. Um, yeah, because you're not getting stuck in these kind of like vicious circles of thought and emotion. I mean, a, there's a book I read on that, and it was actually a pretty easy read. is called The No Self Help Book, 40 Reasons to Get Over Yourself and Find Peace of Mind. It's got lots of good ratings, and yeah, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, written by Kate Gustin, PhD. So, I mean, check that out. I mean, and I'm what I'm actually trying to do, and this is still all relevant to borderline personality disorder. I mean, because we're talking about things like... Uh, in all of this, like we're talking about boundaries, which are very relevant to uh, borderline personality disorder. We're talking about learning how to take time for yourself and uh, how to make it a priority, which is also very relevant, I would say, to any mental health issue. And um, and kind of and and lastly, like with the last part, I was talking about the the no self thing, which is I know a strange thing to ponder but like i mean that's about like learning true self-love as well because you're yeah you're not caught up in the in all of those issues that i mentioned you're caught up the least i guess i would say so that would be it for today um i mean try and think of self-love as kind of like a a, a, a balance issue you know you want to be able to take time for yourself and you also want to be able to give to others in kind of like equal measure and uh whatever practices help you achieve that balance uh the better um 
And I think, you know, when we can truly get over ourselves and kind of like drop the e egoic part, which is that um, uh, being over identified with the self, like I was saying, I think that's when we have the greatest ability to achieve that balance. But of course, these are things you're, you know, you'll need to explore for yourself and to fully conceptualize. I'm just kind of pointing you in the direction to these ideas and the, you know, the authors and the, the books. And But if you want to, you know, fully understand it, uh, get those books and dig deeper and you can see how it can uh, help you in your life overall with any mental health condition and uh, the more difficult ones like borderline. So thanks for listening today. Uh, please do rate and review Smarter Than BPD. You can find the links to that at the top of the Smarter Than BPD blog, which is located at smarterthanbpd.info. Uh, please also check out the Smarter Than BPD Facebook page where you can ask questions for any of the episodes and uh, otherwise interact with uh, other people following the podcast. All right. Thanks for listening today.